Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hi, it's Michael Benner, your host of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Thanks for joining us today. We've completed our podcast of the audiobook version of my book, Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. And so we're going to continue on with our podcast series with a special program today. We're going way back to a blast from the past. The year is 1993. I want you to imagine the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles. And I'm sitting on the couch, the living room sofa of Timothy Leary's home. And beside me, of course, is Timothy Leary. He speaks about being 72 years old at the time. And so this is 26 years ago as we released this podcast in the spring of 2019. Now, many of you may not know anything about Timothy Leary. Depending on your age, you'd have to be at least 40, 45 years old, I would say, to remember Timothy Leary as the high guru and priest of LSD. And as you can imagine, that was a pretty controversial stand. He uh, became a targeted enemy in Richard Nixon's drug war. Uh, he speaks about going to jail. He was in San Quentin Prison in California. Uh, he escaped, was recaptured in, of all places, Afghanistan, returned to California prison, finally released, and uh, here we're talking about the millennium that's still seven years away at this time, and also, of course, about Dr. Leary's research with LSD and uh, about learning and some general comments about society and where we're at. 26 years ago, what we're looking forward to, and some of it sounds probably a little naive, given the dark turn that our government has taken and the challenges we face, the lack of empathy, the lack of morality and civility, the strong and deep divisions in our society, and indeed in many other places in the world as well. So I hope you enjoy this. It's less than 30 minutes long. And as I say at the beginning of the interview, this is probably the seventh or eighth time that I had interviewed Dr. Leary. Our first time was 1977. So do the math on that. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here it is. Dr. Timothy Leary, 1993, from his home in the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> I'm sitting with Timothy Leary this afternoon, and Timothy, it occurs to me that I have interviewed you on Los Angeles radio stations probably more than any other guest. No, really? I think you're number one. Well, I'm honored. This is probably the seventh or eighth time. I'm honored uh, to be that's the number one. I'd rather have that than the Nobel Prize. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way because I've there's a reason for that. Obviously, it's because I've always felt that I've learned a lot from you. And well, I always learn a lot from you too, and 
the aim of the game. That is the name of the game, isn't it? Anytime you have interaction, uh, the aim is, I want to learn as much as I can from you. And uh, it's up to you to learn what you get from me. <laughs> the first time I interviewed you was 1977. And, and, well, Just after I got out of prison. And you scolded me in a very gentle and kind fashion, but you scolded me for the way I was talking about LSD. I was talking about how these laboratory tests had been done and schizophrenics acted normally on acid and normal people had acted schizophrenic and this and that. And you looked at me and you said, what are you talking about? Like the acid like this for? This is, this is a great cosmic uh, joke. This is fun. This is brain chemistry. This is, it was almost as if I was afraid to make light of it because of, you know, all the hysteria in the 60s and 70s about people jumping out of windows and acid. And you such. were being serious. I was being much too and serious. I was trying to lighten you up. You were being the jester. You were being the cheerleader for change that you always are and, and saying, hey, Benner, lighten up. It's 1993, Tim. Where are we with LSD in 1993? Well, LSD has been a factor, I would say a significant factor, the incredible social and cultural changes that have taken place in the last uh, 20 or 30 years. Uh, so it's kind of hard to talk about LSD without talking about the context of tremendous uh, cultural revolution and, uh, and uh, social change that uh, we've all been going through. And when you talk about millennium madness, uh, this change is going to accelerate in the next uh, seven years as we uh, zoom towards the 21st century. And uh, there is a, now, you know, a so-called resurgence of LSD. Uh, I never believe anything I read in the paper about anything, particularly about... Uh, uh, personal lives and drugs but I spent a lot of time in college campuses and uh, there's no question that uh, the, there's a new generation of college students who are taking LSD thoughtfully quietly planfully uh, I don't want to use the word seriously <laughs> <laughs> not too seriously <laughs> anyway <laughs> right <laughs> but uh, with an attitude of uh, of spiritual ambition and of uh, celebration and uh, yes, we'll throw a little pagan Dionysius stuff here. But uh, spiritual ambition, yeah, what a wonderful phrase. So you think we've gone through a period of looking at the benefits of these uh, mind-expanding drugs to a period of uh, law and order hysteria, and then maybe cycling back around to a new appreciation of their value and expanding awareness. Well, another way to say that is that for. Uh, the 60s ended in 1980 when Nancy Reagan became uh, president. And uh, then in, in, in 1992, thank the goddess, uh, Hillary became president. <laughs> and uh, of course, that changes everything, <laughs> including uh, you're going to see enormous uh, changes in every aspect of well, humanizing government. And number one, the number of women that are now in power and the minority groups that are in power. And finally, the recognition of the sexual liberties and rights. And the drug war is over. They haven't announced it, but it's going to go very quietly, as it has to. But 
I think most people don't realize that uh, the drug war was begun uh, by Nixon and then stopped during Truman's administration. During Tr- I mean, I'm sorry, during uh, Carter's Carter. Fourteen states uh, decriminalized marijuana during Carter. Carter was openly in favor of decriminalizing a psychedelic drug. Uh, then, uh, of course, uh, we had the Reagan-Bush situation. The real issue came when the power to uh, control drugs passed from the FDA to the Bureau of Dangerous Drugs and the DEA. Uh, young people out there, you will not believe this, but in the 1960s, at the height of uh, the psychedelic drug experiments, our, our adversary in the government was the FDA, which was part of health and food, and uh, it was about safety. And I testified in 1964 in the Senate in front of a, a bunch of uh, pretty literate senators, including Ted, Ted Kennedy. And I said, do what you're doing now. You're doing a wonderful job. Regulate it. Uh, license it. Uh, but don't let Justice Department get their hands on it. And as soon as Nixon came in, Justice moved. Uh, and then, of course, now uh, the bureaucracy of, of drug policing is it $100 billion a year? It's the, it's the biggest thing going in Washington outside of the guns. Uh, and you're going to see a swing back. The FDA is going to become much more... Uh, and the, the way they're saying it now is uh, we're not going to, we're going to uh, educate and we're going to do re, uh, med- treat. We're going to, this problem is a medical situation. And that means they're going to call the cops off. Uh, just in today's paper, perhaps it was yesterday's, uh, Reverend Schuler, this extremely conservative Protestant minister who has that crystal palace down there, has come out against uh, uh, at least four decriminalization. And I don't know if this is relevant here, but uh, I, I don't want to legalize drugs. It's not the government's business to legalize anything that we do privately in our homes, adults. Uh, are they going to legalize masturbation? <laughs> are they going to, of course... Uh, or your vegetable garden. Yeah, right. They can, yeah. Uh, I know that if the um, right-wingers uh, really took over, they would... They would legalize only face-to-face lovemaking with your eyes closed in the dark in the missionary position. So, but it's none of their business. So I don't want the government to legalize anything I do uh, that has to do with my own private domestic life. So it's important to call it decriminalization. Uh, uh, for decriminalization, I think the government should regulate quality control and uh, make sure that uh, we're not being... Uh, uh, no, I think that's one thing that the left and the right if you get far enough left or far enough to the right that we sort of have in common is this, would you please leave me alone kind of an attitude. Uh, the, uh, the Hoover Institute... That's, that's, li- that's a libertarian point of view. Well, okay. Libertarian right wingers um, leftists tend to be socialized. No, it's libertarian, I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, well... Are you a libertarian? In some ways, I am. I just think they go a little too far. I wish we right or left. Um, neither. Uh, I just I like basically libertarianism, except that I think we should have some public schools and some public roads and and some way of taking care of people during transitions of unemployment and such. But if you temper libertarianism with some humanity, exactly, then we've got the a very libertarians are 
They have no sense of humor. <laughs> and they have no sense of real compassion. They're so logical. Right. And I agree, you, know, you agree with them logically, but still, we've got to help each other and we've got to... But they're correct that it can't be the federal government, it can't be politicians, yeah. it's got to be done at the local level, it's yeah. got to be done by counties, yeah. by uh, neighborhoods, by... Uh, School, yeah. churches, like that. Yeah, that's real trickle-down, trickle-down power. Leave us alone, and let's let the, 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 the most important government ought to be our local government, our school board, our city councils, and, uh, and then as they get farther away, of less significance. I must say, though, that uh, all politics starts in the home. And the number one, here I get, you want millennium madness ranting, I'll rant way here. Rant, Timothy, right, please. Go. I was hoping you would. Oh, shove it in the rant button, here we go. Buckle your seatbelt, yeah. Um, the, uh, the, by far the number one problem facing our species for the last 25,000 years has been the relentless, ruthless, perennial, almost invisible um, oppression of women and children by armed men. And it starts in the home. You know, every uh, 13 minutes or 13 seconds, a, a woman is beaten up by uh, someone that they know, not to mention the abuse of children, so that the, you know, when you get right down to it, it starts in the, uh, in the home and then the neighborhood. Uh, the attempt to solve problems violently. To make war at home. Yeah, we've got to humanize, and that's why I'm so thrilled by the, uh, the Hillary Clinton uh, gore um, women. We've got a woman that's the head of the justice, <laughs> and a, a woman that's a surgeon general. Well, again, I'm going to go back to that first interview in 1977, across town at a station we won't mention. And another of the things that I remember, because I never met you before, and I was very impressed. I'm still impressed, but especially on my first meeting. And so I remember it very distinctly. One of the comments that you made on the air was that there were so many women working there. We had a woman engineer. We had another woman doing a talk show that preceded my talk show. And you commented on that. And so here, Timothy, the feminist in the mid-70s, you were already talking about that. And I think a lot of us have been fortunate enough to have learned from powerful women in our lives. Uh, about patriarchy. I don't like the word uh, feminism. I, I follow my guru and uh, teacher, uh, Susan Sarandon, who's a really super uh, person. She have a better term. She says, I'm not a feminist, I'm a humanist. Ah. And that's a, it all comes down the religion is humanism and the philosophy is humanism and the politics is humanism. And, uh, that, uh, well, as we talk about this event that's coming up, Millennium Madness and the ultimate event, less than seven years from now, the, the actual millennium itself, I think we can start to look at the connections between the various movements, as you've just described, uh, the anti-war movement, the anti-nuke movement, now the animal rights movement, vegetarian uh, slash health movement, uh, gay rights movement. There is a connection here. You described it as humanism. What else is happening, do you think, that will be a significant uh, reflection of this period. Historians a couple hundred years from now going, yeah, back around the year 2000. What do you think's well, think going to happen? I not wait that long. I think we, matter of fact, I'm writing history right now. I'm 72 years old. I went through the 20s. I belong to the first generation that was ever called a generation. It's until the 1920s. They didn't talk about generations. You live for a hundred or a thousand years and there's no kids coming along doing something different. 
the concept of a generation implies that young people are doing something different. Change. Yeah, and then in the 20s, uh, there was an incredible empowerment of young people. It's all based on McLuhan. Uh, McLuhan said, the medium is the message, the medium creates the reality, the medium creates the species, really. And uh, I belong to the first generation of human beings who, as children in their own home, could listen to radio and could listen to events happening uh, hundreds of thousands of miles away. Also, I was the first generation of kids that grew up where there was a telephone in the home. Uh, I'm talking about the average phone. Uh, what that means is that my generation is a heroic generation. That's why we got so involved. I can remember when I was 12 years old listening to Benny Goodman playing from the Starlight Roof at the Hotel Pennsylvania in downtown New York. Boy, did that sound Or uh, Tommy Dorsey in the Palladium in Sunset Hollywood. Oh, boy. And uh, then I heard uh, Franklin Roosevelt talk about, uh, we have nothing to fear but for itself. And... Uh, I heard, uh, I remember sitting with my mother listening to translations of Hitler. I could hear Hitler's voice announcing, uh, you know, what he was planning. So that, uh, that is following McLuhan. Uh, I belong, we belong, my generation is new species. We're the first globally hooked up species. Uh, uh, that's why we were so involved in World War II. That's why after World War II, uh, my generation... Uh, was the first conquering group in history that instead of looting and raping and exploiting and occupying the defeated countries, we turned around like good social workers. And we tried by Benjamin Spock. You know? <laughs> we helped them out. Germany, we built yeah, them, they're, sure. they're fucked up kids. Excuse me, they're screwed up kids. Oh, those naughty Japanese. Well, then we'll help them out, give them more self-respect. And all of our first time in history that the victors <laughs> what I'll have to try to, uh, to put the... Uh, this. And uh, I'm proud of my generation and also proud of my generation because uh, with Dr. Spock as our uh, Bible, biblical uh, prophet, we did something that's never been done in world history. We were taught by Spock, treat your kids as individuals. So then the next generation, they, they're called the baby boomers, uh, they grew up in the 50s. And they're a magical generation and a heroic generation because they were the first generation of human beings that grew up during the, they call the Chomsky window. You learn languages between three and 12 with television. And that's why, you know, we're Harvard doing our LSD research. We would talk about having a psychedelic session. We didn't use the word turn on and tune in. That came from the street. That came from the kids because they were the first generation that could dial and tune and uh, turn on this alternative reality yeah that also leads to the, uh, the again each of these generations my generation and the uh, so-called hippie generation were heroic we were thrown into the future where no no there were no maps there were no guidebooks and uh, I'm, I'm proud to say that my generation Right now, they're, they're pretty nasty, senile, grabbing. Uh, the worst thing in the world, you want a government health care. Can you think of that? Is that an oxymoron? I mean, it's the ultimate sanity. You want politicians to be in charge of your care. But anyway, but the, uh, the, the heavy generation was, again, a wonderful generation thrown out there in the future. Peace and love and stop the war in Vietnam and, uh, and uh, the, the, the various so humanism. And a belief that we really could make the world a better place. Well, they did, they did. They and did. it is a better yeah. place.
caused a lot of trouble because as soon as you get people free, then uh, a lot of people don't know how to handle freedom, but still. And now, of course, people are putting the, uh, it's true, the uh, hippie generation, they were not very literate. Uh, they, uh, they could spell M-I-C-K-Y-M-O-U-S-E, but it's not no. Only if we sang it, we could we yeah. get a head yeah. start yeah. on it. The hippie generation is not known for great writers, uh, and they tend to be kind of passive, and uh, they also know it all. Uh, let's see if we look back. Hippies, to be honest, were not very hip compared to the Vietnamese. And now we got this new generation coming along of the children of the baby boomers. I don't know what you want to call them, Generation X. I, I spend most of my time now with kids under the age of 29. They're teaching me. Uh, they're training me how to use these new languages. And again, they've, they've been thrown into another incredibly confusing future. In the first generation of Americans, kids that knew they were never going to have the money that their parents had, probably could never have a house. They've had to face uh, the collapse of all the solidities, religious and political. And if you look at it that way, as we move towards the uh, millennium, uh, I, I think all of us should try to kind of look at the last 80 years we've been through and celebrate. It is madness. It's it, madness because it's unpredictable, unknown. Dr. Spock was a Boy Scout. I mean, Captain Kirk, they were cuddling around with little baby stuff compared with what our three generations have gone uh, through. And I'm going to like, urge uh, anyone who listens to this invitation about the money and madness thing. If you're older, if you, you know, if you're in your, uh, I'm 70, if you're 60 or 50, come on down and let's celebrate the, the three generations of Americans who have really uh, heroically, and not knowing, that's the whole point, you didn't know what we were doing. Now you can kind of look back and realize what, what was going on. Let's make this Lenny of Madness thing a reunion, a coming together of the three generations. Instead of a, it is true, the older people now are trying to grab all the money and the young kids don't have, they're all overqualified and uh, underemployed. Uh, and the, uh, the, uh, Baby boomers are becoming kind of, you know, settled in. But uh, I, I propose this millennium madness be an incredible celebration. Uh, we survived. Yeah, that's the reason to celebrate. We did. Years that, uh... We are survivors. Let me ask you one final question. The 60s seemed to be, if they were about one thing, about love, peace and love, the peace and love generation. As I have grown older, and you're sharing your age, I'll share my age, I'm... 45, graduated from high school in 66 and college in 70. Right there, okay. As I've gotten older and evolved in my, from hippie to whatever I am now, 45-year-old hippie, talk host, journalist, somebody still looking for answers and understanding, I, I know that that heart part, the love and the peace, is still very important. I don't mean to diminish it at all. But I've also come to understand the importance of uh, more choices, creativity, imagination, vision. And uh, I look at computers, and I know you're interested in computers too, and I, I remember something Bucky Fuller once said about we have all the right technology, but for all the wrong reasons. And I'm wondering as you look... Said, that was, uh this is incredible hardware, but there's no software to, uh, to humanize it. Or the wetware up here. Well, yeah, the wetware is there. We have to learn how to operate it. There, there. That's, that's the question I'm asking. 
what are the right reasons to use computers? Where are we headed in the year 2000? What are we supposed to do with these machines? What can we do as we learn to see them as extensions of our central nervous system to empower us to have more choices and more answers? What are we going to do with them? Well, this is my viewpoint. Uh, I'm going to energetically and as passionately as I can uh, articulate it in the next uh, few years. The function of the 21st century is to learn how to operate our brains. We do not know how to operate our brains. We do not know how to turn them on or turn them off or dial, we, you know, left brain, right brain. We know a little bit about it, but uh, we're going to be able to use multimedia uh, electronic uh, appliances to communicate, to create new languages that are not just verbal and just English or Japanese. Uh, it's going to be a, uh, the, the very concept when I say you must learn how to operate your brain, that concept is very new. I've never heard anyone say that before five, three or four or five years ago. Operate your brain. What do you mean I supposed to operate your brain? You don't operate your heart, you don't operate your liver, but the, the, the human brain is designed to design realities. And, uh, and of course, none of the educational or religious or political institutions uh, want you to know that your job in life is to learn how to operate your brain and, and uh, do that kind of and change everything. To invent your life and make it up as you go along, basically. Yeah. To design it, as you yeah. said. So that's uh, the encouraging... Um, so we have to go from seeing ourselves as victims or effect to taking responsibility for our lives. That's a major attitude shift. That's a 180. Thank you. Oh, yeah, that's been my, my motto for the last uh, month. Don't become a victim. The number one industry in America today are all these victim industries. Right. You can't name an orifice of the body or a problem. They don't have a, a foundation or a government grant. And just politicians and administrative bureaucrats, they're trying to make us all victims. Uh, every politician, of course. And, and, uh, and all these new illnesses they're inventing. And, uh, and every day you see some doctors found that cholesterol is good, no, it's bad. White sugar is good, no, it's bad. They're, they're trying to make us feel victimized. Don't be a victim. Be smart, be alert, be shrewd, avoid trouble, uh, street smarts. Uh, I'm not saying just wander around uh, loving and believing or anything, but uh, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it uh, <laughs> can trigger that off. Uh, I think that's baseline, that's very fundamental yeah. kind of a uh, concept. Well, listen, thanks for uh, being available. Millennium Madness is coming up. Uh, let's get the dates and the times here. Saturday, May 29th. At the Scottish Rite, your friend uh, Bob Wilson's going to be there. Good pal. Jack Herrer, who wrote The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Paul Krasner, Paul one of the... Paul Krasner and I go way, way back. He's one of the funniest guys around. The original yippies and uh, one of my favorite troublemakers. Yep. Uh, Roy of Hollywood. You know Roy, of course. I do, yeah. And um, we're going to play, I understand, Bob Wilson's Cosmic Conspiracy Game, uh, an evolution update. There's going to be dancing and... Uh, no, not enough... Uh women uh, on this program. So well, bring I'm some. Sure that, uh, I'm working with a group that, uh, of uh, computer uh, multimedia people, and I'm going to have uh, a lobby done by women. And I want to repeat again, uh, this is going to be a great celebration. And invite your parents. If, or, or if you're 18 years old, invite your hippie uh, parents. And if you're uh, in the 40s, invite your, uh, you know, invite the grandparents, because uh, instead of quarreling with each other or, you know, uh, 
we should all glorify that the three of us, uh, three generations of, uh, we've led the world. It happened here because of communication and uh, it's a very, very positive message which I think is going to uh, get the new millennium going, get it going to a good start. Timothy Leary, thank you very much. Good. Mm-hmm.